Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. I had to look at my notes there to see what I had to say first. <laughs> no, just kidding. Come on, you guys. Man. It's Christmas. We should be leaning in already here. Hey, on, on that note, I just want to say thank you to Joan Clark, who's done all this decorating. Um, she's done such an amazing job, continues to just help us out in so many different ways here around the church. All the decorating out in the front, and Elaine Lawrence helped her with that. Yeah, thank you. I see this and it just starts to get me into the whole Christmas mood. And, um, and I recognize for some people, Christmas isn't that exciting a time. Sometimes it underlines actually the things that are going wrong in our world. But I hope that as you see these decorations, that that gives you a glimmer of hope. And that's where we're going to go today a little bit as we get into the message. We're in a message in a series that Bruce introduced last week called Anticipation. And as Bruce pointed out at the beginning of the series, there's lots of things that we anticipate in and around Christmas, right? Like we anticipate family being home. We anticipate a holiday from school for sure, maybe even from work. We anticipate food, all kinds of different things like that. But this series is actually about the anticipation of Christmas, the anticipation that we derive from Christmas. And namely, that that anticipation centers around the, the gift to us of a Savior, of Jesus Christ, who came and was born to save us from the consequence of our sin. And so that's where we're going in this. And as we started this series, Bruce launched us into it looking at the whole idea of God's plan. We looked at it in terms of God's plan. And that from even before the beginning of time, God has had a plan in mind. That this isn't just at all ad hoc, that it isn't happening by chance, but that he is bringing about this plan that he had in his mind before there ever was anything to begin with. And that even as sin destroyed us from that relationship that he wants with us, that he had a plan, had a work around for that as well. That he had a resolution to even that for us. That our relationship could be restored with Him, even though we broke it through sin, that it could be restored through the gift to us of His Son who would pay the consequence of that sin. This morning now, we're going to look at this from the, end, the, the perspective of anticipation that is provoked in us through prophecy. And prophecy is not something that we often talk about in church. It's something that we know about, something that we sort of allude to, that sometimes we kind of run across as we're reading our Bible maybe. But we're going to try and look at prophecy, at least in a small part this morning, and see what that provokes in us in terms of anticipation as we come to Christmas. So let's pray and then we're going to dive in. We've got a lot of ground to try and cover this morning. So let's, let's pray and then we'll get right at it. Father, today... 
as we come up on this Christmas season, we thank you for this time of year when we can slow down at least a little, I pray, I trust, and focus on you even a little bit more maybe than we do during the rest of the year. And Lord, as we consider Christmas, what you've accomplished in Christmas, what it initiated for us, what it demonstrates about you to us, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds now by your Spirit and that you would draw us closer even to you. That by Christmas, that you would show us your love for us and what we can anticipate as we give ourselves to you. For I ask these things all now by way of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in his name, amen. All right. So prophecy plays significantly into Christmas, doesn't it? If for no other reason than by the amount of prophecy that we find throughout Scripture concerning the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the birth of Christ. And on that note, there's a lot of thought. There's a spectrum of perspectives on how much prophecy there actually is concerning the birth of Christ. Some scholars would point to almost 600 biblical references in the Old Testament pointing to the birth of the Messiah. A more conventionally held number is 456. 456 prophecies about the coming of Jesus. And conservatively, there would be understood to be at least 300. 300 prophecies about the coming of Christ. And within even the conservative number of 300, there is what they would consider as major prophecies. And some would say that there's 60 or more. Others would say that we could safely say 50. 50 major prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas. Now, as we look at these prophecies, we find that they are very varied. Prophecies are both direct and there are indirect prophecies. They cover a lot of aspects. They cover His birth, the birth of Jesus Christ. They cover His death. They cover His lineage. They cover His birthplace. And on and on it goes. And on top of that, these prophecies are handed down to us over a huge expanse of time. Multiple, multiple, many years. So here are just a few examples, just a few examples of the prophecy that we see concerning Jesus Christ. Starting back in Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. This is just as Abraham has been about to sacrifice Isaac. And God calls him and speaks into his world. He says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, 
all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You were a young Jewish person growing up. You, you would have come to that Scripture and you would have understood that as God pointing to the fact that there was a coming Messiah. Then we see it again a little bit later in Jacob's blessings on his sons. In Genesis 49, verse 10. There, as Jacob comes to his son Judah, he, he blesses him this way. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Scepter being a sign of royalty. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he whom, uh, to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And so a very interesting blessing for one of your sons, isn't it? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Then we go to Isaiah. Incidentally, those references in Genesis are about 1,500 years B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood approximately. Isaiah, about now 740 years before the birth of Christ. 714, he said, Isaiah says this, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders and He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then we move forward to about 500 B.C. or so. In the book of Micah, the prophet Micah in chapter 5, verse 2 wrote this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, which in the original language actually meant whose origins are from before time began. And then, I put in one this morning concerning Christ's death. Psalm 22, verses 16 to 18, and you can go to the whole Psalm 22, which is understood to be a, a messianic psalm. But verses 16 to 18 say this, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Given the expanse of time over which the prophecies came, their varied nature in that they were both indirectly referring to Jesus and directly referring to Him as well. Together, the prophecies are incredibly specific. Taken as a whole, they become incredibly focused and sharp. 
pointing to one person. And also, given their varied nature, they become incredibly hard to manufacture. It is very difficult for someone to come along and have organized where he was born. The line that he comes out of, your heritage is awfully hard for you to manipulate. It's also very hard to manipulate things when it concerns others around you that you have no control over. So these scriptures are very telltale, very significant. These prophecies have to be considered carefully. And in fact, a number of years ago, a fellow by the name of Peter W. Stoner and his partner, Robert C. Newman, two professors, wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. You've maybe run across this before, but for those that haven't, these two guys decided what they were going to do. They were going to embark on a project around which this book is based. And they set out in this project to calculate the odds of any one man in all of history, not even just to the time of Jesus, but any one man throughout all of history fulfilling just eight of the 60 major prophecies accomplished by Jesus Christ. So they based it all on the science of prob probability and it was out vouched for by an outside source after it was completed. The study concluded this, that the probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even just eight such prophecies would be only one in 10 to the 17th power. Which if I understand that properly, correctly, that's one chance in 100 quadrillion. Now, to help us today, Stoner put that in perspective a little bit for us. They did some more math, if you will. So Stoner figured out that that many silver dollars, 100 quadrillion silver dollars, would be enough to cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. That's a lot of silver dollars. I think that's even more than Bill Gates has got. So it'd be enough silver dollars to cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. And therefore then, the odds of, just, of one man fulfilling just eight of the major prophecies of Jesus would be the same as taking those 100 quadrillion silver dollars, painting the bottom of one of them red, shuffling them all, mixing them all up, dumping them out again across the state of Texas, blindfolding a man, and turning him loose to go out and pick up that one specially marked silver dollar on his first try. Lee Strobel, the atheist investigative journalist turned Christian said it this way, I imagine the entire world being covered with white tile that was one and a half inches square. Every bit of dry land on the, on the planet with the bottom of just one tile painted red. Then I pictured 
a person being allowed to wander for a lifetime around all seven continents. He would be permitted to bend down only one time and pick up one piece of tile. What are the odds it would be the one tile whose reverse side was painted red? The odds would be the same as just eight of the Old Testament prophecies coming true in any one person throughout history. Now if you ask me, God's been pretty specific about who this Jesus is. But Stoner, not content to leave it at that, decided to push the project a little bit further. So they expanded their study to 48 prophecies. What would be the odds of one man fulfilling 48 prophecies? And they arrived at the probability of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one person as one in one times 10 to the 157th power. So, at this point, what's, what's my question? And my question is this. So what? So what? The probability is 1 times 10 to the 157th power of any one person fulfilling all these 48, just, just 48 prophecies of Jesus, Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do with that today? And I think that that depends on where we're at today. For those of us sitting maybe here in the room, maybe listening online this morning that haven't come yet to the point where they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, where they've decided that they're buying in on this whole idea that Jesus is actually God. Does this prove this morning Jesus is the Messiah, that we have no doubt about that today? And the answer is no. It doesn't prove it beyond the shadow of a doubt. We can't prove anything today beyond the shadow of a doubt. There's always the possibility of doubt. You and I have the potential to doubt everything and anything but as the renowned investigative homicide detective J. Warner Wallace points out, the standard of proof that we use in our world today is not proof beyond a possible doubt. Because at that point, we couldn't decide anything. If there was always the room for a doubt, which there is, well, then we couldn't decide anything if that standard was beyond doubt. Instead, he points out, that the standard is beyond reasonable doubt. So our standard this morning is beyond reasonable doubt. And therefore, I would say this and ask this. As we consider then these prophecies of Christmas, for those of us that haven't come to place our faith in Jesus yet, are these fulfilled prophecies that we see in Jesus Christ this morning moving you closer 
to being beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think the words of John now speak to us right where we're, ha- where we're at this morning as he writes in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written, John says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So this is John writing at the end of his Gospel, and really this is the whole reason he says for his Gospel, that all that he's been writing about is so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that as we believe that, then we would find life in Him. That we would be saved from our sin, that we would be able to look forward to eternal life, no longer death, to worry about. And even as John is writing in the specific sense concerning his gospel, in in a general sense, he is speaking to the whole nature of Scripture this morning. That these things have been written, Scripture has been written for us, these prophecies have been written down for us and included in Scripture so that we can come to them, that we can read them, that we can consider them And that as we do, that we would come to believe in Jesus Christ as God's Son sent to us to save us from our sin. And that in that we may believe. That we may believe this morning. In other words, the plan that Bruce spoke about last week that he laid out for us. That God not only had a plan, but that within His plan, it was His will, it was His plan to make His plan known to you and I today. That He wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt in our own hearts, in our own minds, that He loves us and that He wants relationship with us today. And so he wove into his plan all the way down through time all these clues for us so that we could take them, that we could consider them, that we wouldn't miss who Jesus is. Because he loves us that much. Not in such a way so that we would have to believe him. Not in such a way that we are forced to believe him because God never puts us in a corner and says, you have to. We see that also as a part of his plan. From the very beginning of time, he gave us the opportunity to trust him. There's always the opportunity for us to trust. And at the same time, there's always the opportunity for us to turn away. Just as Adam and Eve did. That got us into this whole mess to begin with. And that we've continued to foster this whole mess going forward as we continue to turn turned away from God. But He's provided for us now these Scriptures so that we can look at them, that we can consider him, them, so that we can consider Him, so that we could then choose, that we may choose to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Where are you at this morning? Have you come to that point where you've decided that I believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Have you come to that point? 
where this isn't beyond reasonable doubt, where this is beyond reasonable doubt. If you haven't, strongly consider the prophecies fulfilled at Christmas. If you're at that point but haven't made it yet and need some help, then come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the staff. Come and talk to someone that brought you. But make that decision today that this Christmas would be different for you than any other Christmas as you come to know Jesus personally. But there's more this morning. The prophecy brings to the table for all of us now, not just those that don't believe, but for all of us today. And I want to look at two of those aspects really quickly this morning. First of all, as we consider prophecy fulfilled at Christmas, it speaks to the veracity of Scripture as a whole. It speaks to the authenticity of our Bible, our Scriptures given to us. 2 Peter verse, or chapter 1, verses 19-21 to 21 says this, we also have, Peter speaking, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a, sh a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Which is interestingly a reference back to prophecy about Christ. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says to us this morning, he says to his, his readers then, he says to you and I today, he says, consider, if you will, the prophetic message. All these prophecies that have been laid out for us, they're reliable. And he says that they're reliable because they were not somehow conceived of by man, but rather that they were inspired by God Himself. So these prophecies, these things that were written down that we so oftentimes will try to dismiss as some sort of somehow some prediction made by some guys long ago that now we've tried to cobble together in some haphazard manner in order to concoct a story about this Jesus thing that's really just a myth. We try to dismiss it that way. But Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Take a look at it and then do the math. Do the math on this whole thing. Because you'll see that it's not just some sort of random exercise, but rather that it's an intentional plan and purpose designed by God for you and I today so that we can know Him and be in relationship with Him. These aren't random predictions made by men. They're not something conjured up by some guys trying to just forecast the future. These prophecies are assertions from God Himself by which He's revealing Himself to you and I today. So as God's prophecies then are fulfilled, it authenticates Scripture and it authenticates Himself to you and I today. 
And listen, listen more now to what Jesus has to say over and above that. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus says to them, his disciples, he said, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, which is to say Scripture, Old Testament, all of these things written about me must be fulfilled. Now listen to me today, because I'm here to tell you that God is throwing down the gauntlet today, and Jesus Christ is upping the ante, because Stoner figured it out at eight, at eight fulfilled prophecies. Then he calculated it out to 48 prophecies. But Jesus is saying today, that's not good enough. I'm fulfilling them all. It's going to be a clean sweep. I'm going for 100% here. And we can have that confidence that he's going to bring it home for you and I today as we look back and we see these prophecies being fulfilled over and over and over again down through time. So forget him just fulfilling 48. He's going for the whole enchilada. And as we see that happening, then not only do we see then the veracity of these prophecies being fulfilled, but we also see the veracity of all of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, this morning, prophecy fulfilled confirms that we can trust Scripture. Which means, church family and friends, we need to be in it that we need to be in it so that we know what's there, so that we can be pattering ourselves after that, so that we can building our, be, be, be building our lives on it because it is a firm foundation that we can stand on today in the midst of a world that is upset and messed up and twisted and, tur- and in turmoil. There's a solid foundation for you and I today in Scripture, which is to say there's a foundation for you and I today in God. And we can take that to the bank this morning. And fulfilled prophecy points us to that fact. But maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, dude, you said that you were going to talk about how Christmas provokes in us anticipation through prophecy. And we're looking back at all these prophecies right now. We're looking at back at them. So how do we get anticipation out of things that have already been fulfilled? And I'm glad you asked the question. Because fulfilled, the fulfilled prophecy of Christmas provokes us to hope. It provokes us to anticipation that the remaining prophecies will also be fulfilled. Now let's look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Paul says to the Romans, he says to you and I today as well, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we may have hope. That we may anticipate, that we can have anticipation about what is entailed therein. Hope, in other words, that 
it wasn't just once at Christmas that Christ came, but that He is coming again. Hope, anticipation that our sanctification is going to be complete one day. That our, that our, our ongoing, our lingering challenges and deficiencies are one day going to be completely resolved. Hope, anticipation that the world and the mess that we're in, that one day Christ is going to come back and He's going to set it all straight. He's going to recalculate, retabulate the whole deal. And it's going to be resolved once and for all. Hope, anticipation that there is coming a day for all of us that place our faith in Jesus Christ where there will be no more tears, that there will be no more pain, that there will be no more suffering. That's what the fulfilled prophecy of Scripture provokes for us at Christmas, an anticipation of this coming fulfillment of these prophecies. And that day is coming. Listen to Paul's words to us in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 10. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10, we think of this as the love chapter, and it is, but don't miss this in this chapter as well because it's so important. Paul goes on, he says, chapter, verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Which is to say that our knowledge of God is incomplete at this point. And that we prophesy about some things. As we go through Scripture, it talks about prophecies about some things, but not everything. So we know in part and we prophesy in part. But, verse 10, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Fulfilled prophecy now provokes in us the anticipation of when prophecy will be no more. That day when in Christ all things will be complete. And for you and I today, as followers of Jesus Christ, those of us that see Christmas and understand God, that come to Christmas and know Jesus, that experience Christmas and remember the cross, that Christmas was the introduction to the cross where Jesus would die in our place to pay the, the penalty of our sins so that we can have relationship with Him. For all of us that are in that boat today, then the fulfilled prophecy of Christmas and Scripture points us to the day when we will be complete in Christ and with Him forevermore. So this morning... Christmas isn't all about the past. Christmas is very much about the future and what we can anticipate going forward with God. And I trust that that comes as a huge encouragement to all of us today. Let's go back to where we began the beginning, so to speak. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But we can't stop there. 
we have to read Isaiah 9, verse 7 as well. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Why? Why? Because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today, would you stir up in our hearts Christmas in a whole new respect? Lord, for those that don't know you yet, that they would see Christmas and that they would be moved now beyond a reasonable doubt. That as they consider Jesus Christ and all that you prophesied about him long, long before he came, that they would see in that the truth. That they would find you today through that. And Father, for those of us that are already there, I pray that you would now move us forward. That you would change us today as your people. That we would stand on your word. That knowing the truth of your scripture, that we would dedicate ourselves to it. That we would become thoroughly versed in it. And that as we do, God, that you would give us the, what we need to stand today in the midst of the turmoil, and in the midst of the strife, that it would be our assurance and our confidence. And what's more, that it would be our hope. That we would be a people looking forward, and a people looking outward. An optimistic people. An encouraging people to the world around us. For I ask these things all now in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Next week we're going to pick up right where we left off in Isaiah 9 verse 7 with God's peace. I look forward to seeing you then. Until then, enjoy a cronut. 